Hello and welcome to the Beyond Biotech podcast number 55. I'm Jim Cornell from LaBiotech and I had to check and recheck whether it was actually 55 or 56. It is indeed 55. The podcast is going out on July the 21st, which is junk food day. Actually, I thought that that was pretty much every day. And it's Independence Day in Belgium. It's also the day in 1969 the first person walked on the moon, at least that we know of. I'm sure there's a conspiracy theory out there that says someone beat Neil Armstrong to it. I know there are certainly people who think that they filmed it in a US studio and that it didn't happen at all. You can spend many an hour looking into strange theories online. It's also the date in 1796 that Robert Burns died. Around here, where I live, you can't avoid Robert Burns. If he ate a sandwich in a certain location, there's a statue about it. The village I live in is exempt because it didn't exist until around 1808. Incredibly, there's even a Robert Burns statue in the city in Canada my son was born. I'm sure if I ever visit a lost village somewhere around the world, there'll be some kind of Robert Burns plaque. As far as I'm aware, though, Robert Burns didn't write any poems about inflammasome inhibitors, which is just as well, because this week we have another interesting subject, as we're talking about inflammasome inhibitors with Alan Watt, CEO of Nodthera. So now it's time for the news you may have missed over at labiotech.eu. We're getting to that time of year when it's pretty quiet for press releases, at least mostly in Europe. I know in North America there isn't that much of a lull. Lilly boosted its obesity portfolio with the acquisition of Versanis Bio. Westlake launched a $450 million fund for Los Angeles area biotechs. And we had an article about five biotech companies you should know about in Spain. There is hope for Alzheimer's disease patients after Lilly published its drug results, and that one even made the front page of some UK newspapers. The FDA approved Bayfortis ahead of the 2023-2024 RSV season, and Novartis acquired DTX Pharma. Corobio and Frequency Therapeutics are merging, a French startup is revolutionizing the early diagnosis of endometriosis with a saliva test, and Moleculin issued its acute myeloid leukemia drug data. The discovery of a novel bacterial communication system could help take on antimicrobial resistance. We had an article on whether China is poised to lead the way when it comes to genetic engineering. And Biomica announced interim positive results from its irritable bowel syndrome program. Hutchmed has received breakthrough therapy designation in China for its cancer drug. Genomic Vision launched Hexacard. Mage Biologics has been created to develop an oral antibody therapy for ulcerative colitis. And seven pharma companies have formed the Intrepid Alliance to prepare for future pandemics. You can read all of these and plenty more at labiotech.eu. And that means we're into today's interview on everything you wanted to know about inflammasomes. And I can say that I now know much more after the interview, and hopefully you will too. It's a great conversation with Alan Watt, CEO of Nodthera. 
were a company that was formed uh, back in 2016. And it was with the express purpose of drugging the uh, the NLRP3 inflammasome. I can give you more background on that in a moment. But yeah, the reason for getting involved is, yeah, we thought it was a super interesting anti-inflammatory uh, target, so novel anti-inflammatory. And the company was really a venture-based biotech, but trying to bring the very best of pharma. So, you know, we brought a lot of pharma expertise uh, actually into the company and combine that with the very best of biotech, which was to run you know, really lean and really fast and see if we can get into the clinic and do some really meaningful science. And, and I think we've achieved a lot of that. And, and, you know, we'll talk about that in a moment. First, then, in terms of the issues, could you tell me what you're looking at and what some of the challenges are with tackling those issues? Yeah, so one of the beauties of NLRP3 is the sort of scope of the opportunity. And essentially, yeah, this is a, an, an innate immune target. And so wherever this target is aberrantly activated in the body, it has the opportunity to, to lead to disease. And one of the things I thought was a huge advantage going into this was that, you know, we we could work in the cardiometabolic space and the brain and the lung and the liver and the kidney, you name it, you know, there's there's an NLRP3 involvement. Of course, one of the challenges, though, is what disease are you actually going to treat? And that's what we've had to spend some time really focusing down. So we're a company now that's, uh, you know, predominantly neuro. So we're, we're focused on neurodegeneration but with a large cardiometabolic component as well. And, and that's not by accident, because it turns out that these diseases are highly interrelated and probably inflammation is the thing that, that's really combining these, these diseases together. So you know, narrowing our focus down to what we're going to do clinically, I, I would say has been one of the bigger challenges of the business. And to take one step back, could you explain what NLRP3 inflammasomes are? Yeah, absolutely. Long ago in history, it was known that there was a a protein that was produced by immune cells that caused fever. It was a it was a pyrogen, and um, yeah, this was finally isolated in in maybe the the late seventies, and uh, it was it was named interleukin one beta. And that is, uh, you know, it's produced by immune cells, but it wasn't clear at that time exactly how you know interleukin 1 or IL1 beta was uh, was made and it turns out it's made as an inactive precursor in the cell and so you've got to turn that inactive precursor into an, an, an active cytokine and it was the work of a guy called Jörg Schopp in Switzerland who figured out that there was a multi-protein complex in the cell that he named the inflammasome that is responsible for taking the inactive pro IL-1 beta and converting it into active IL-1 uh, beta. And what happens is that there's two steps to this. So you take an immune cell, you have to prime an immune cell. So there's something called endotoxin uh, that works as, a, as an agonist, switches on production of proteins in the cell and then there's activation that brings the components of the inflammasome together this priming and activation then actually causes uh, IL-1 beta to be produced and this is 
a really important pro-inflammatory uh, chemical. Turns out there's more to it than that, though. What's really interesting to us is that the target is genetically validated as a drug target. And what I mean by that is that mutations in the, the protein, so the NLRP3 is, is the key protein of the inflammasome, mutations in this protein actually cause auto-inflammatory disease in humans. And these are um, gain-of-function mutations, which means that they're always on. And there's a whole spectrum of, uh, of diseases. And, and this was discovered by a, a guy called Hal Hoffman, who was treating these individuals in the early 2000s with, uh, you know, drugs to try and overcome their inflammatory disease of unknown origin. And what he discovered was a mutation in the NLRP3 protein was actually leading to what became known as auto-inflammatory diseases, they were called cryopyrin-associated periodic syndromes, or, or CAPS for short. And what it turns out is that if you look at these, these subjects, they have you know, elevated inflammatory uh, backgrounds. And once people have managed to make therapies against this target called IL-1-beta, treating people with an anti-IL-1-beta therapy actually gave relief of some of those symptoms. So it told us two things. It told us that, you know, IL-1-beta was a, was a really important therapeutic target, which we kind of suspected anyway, but also that NLRP3 was at the heart of this. An activation of NLRP3 in humans was disease causing. And that's really what gave us some comfort moving into uh, this space. Is this all kinds of inflammation or just specific kinds of inflammation? I think it's a very it's a very central mechanism to uh, inflammation. So IL-1-beta and NLRP3, I think, are at the top of a really important inflammatory cascade. So the source of diseases that we're, we're dealing with are what we call the diseases of chronic low-grade inflammation. So, so what we've seen in, in the last 100 years is, is really a shift from infectious diseases as being the, the main cause of, of mortality, particularly in Western populations, to you know, these so-called non-communicable diseases. And, and so you know, your, your, your heart disease and, and your neurodegeneration and, you know, and, and diseases that cause a lot of discomfort and pain, your, your rheumatology and, and so on. All of these diseases, what underpins them all is that they are diseases of chronic low-grade inflammation. So inflammation is a really important feature of the body. It's there to clear up trauma, clear up infection, what happens, though, in these chronic diseases is that you end up with a, a, a low background of inflammation all of the time. And that ultimately drives damage that drives either you know, cardiovascular damage, it drives neurological damage. And it appears that at the heart of that is aberrant activation of this protein NLRP3. And so what we're trying to do is get to the heart of you know what's causing many of these uh, diseases and try to inhibit this inflammasome with drug therapies. Is there a specific cause for them to behave this way in the first place? So, yeah, one of the main factors is aging. So, as it turns out, as we age, so the level of inflammation in the body increases. What's really interesting about 
NLRP3. So the, probably, you know, the reason that we've got NLRP3 in the first place is to respond to pathogens. So that's what these yeah, innate immune targets are there for. What differentiates NLRP3 is that it's unique in not just responding to pathogens, but also responding to so-called danger signals. So danger signals are proteins or substances that are outside of the cell that are often due to you know, chronic stress of a cell or overnutrition or something like that. So you end up forming things like uric acid crystals. You know, these are the causative agents of gout that activates NLRP3. Cholesterol crystals, everyone knows about, linked to atherosclerosis, you know, another uh, activator of NLRP3. Extracellular ATP. And the big one that we're really interested in are misfolded proteins. So the, these misfolded proteins, particularly in the brain, like amyloid beta and alpha-synuclein, that you know are causative for Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's disease, respectively, also NLRP3 um, activators. So what happens is that over time, these things uh, yeah, accumulate. So, so you have you know, what's called inflammaging. So increased inflammation with with aging so aging is definitely a factor for these diseases but you know just bad lifestyle choice and bad nutrition uh can actually lead to these uh, these states of chronic low-grade inflammation and so how do you connect that to disease i mean is it always the case that if you have the inflammation that it's a symptom of the disease and how are you able to diagnose disease using that or can you yeah, it's very interesting in that you've probably got low-grade inflammation for many years completely asymptomatically. So, you know, we've we've seen this even in our phase one study. So what we do in a in a phase one study is recruit young, you know, healthy volunteers to be the first subjects to uh you know actually uh, have the drug. As part of that study, what we do is we measure their inflammatory status. So we, we measure what's called an acute phase protein called C-reactive protein or CRP. And in a, you know, a true healthy individual, you would not expect to be able to detect CRP. It should be below the limit of quantification. What we find, though, is we, we see a range of CRPs. So none of these people have yeah, infectious levels of CRP. So these are not high, but they'll be off the baseline and these measurements off the baseline are indicative of disease to come, essentially. When you look in people with cardiovascular disease, when you look in, in diabetics, when you look with people with, with Alzheimer's disease, they all have elevated CRP. So all of these people you know, have elevated inflammatory um, backgrounds. So we're obviously, you know, using the inflammatory status of these individuals to look at the activity of our drug. But what we will be doing is trying to reduce the inflammation in, you know, people with specific diseases, you know, with, with the prospect that that is going to translate actually into clinical benefit. Obviously, you're looking at different things and there are different, you mentioned Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, are there ways that you can use this information to determine whether that is coming in the future? And if so, can you determine between the different issues that people may have? Yes. Yeah, so there's a lot of work going on in this field right now. 
And you know, one of the big innovations that, that we're sort of taking advantage of here is the use of biomarkers and, and in particular the use of brain biomarkers. A chap that we're working with at uh, UCL, Henrik Zetterberg, he's one of the pioneers in the uh, biomarker uh, space. What he's demonstrated is that you know, these brain inflammatory biomarkers, and just to call one out, you know, neurofilament light is a biomarker of axonal damage, so of, uh, essentially of brain degeneration. That is elevated at least 10 years before people actually start to demonstrate symptoms of Alzheimer's disease and, uh, and, and Parkinson's disease. So what this tells you is that these are chronic processes that are going on over a long period of time that are asymptomatic actually for, for many years. But, you know, potentially that, the, you know, one has the ability to intervene early with if, if you can find the appropriate therapies. What would that intervention look like? Would it be stopping it in its tracks, delaying it? Yeah. So the way that this is going to work for us is the very first thing we want to do is to be able to demonstrate that these biomarkers can be moved in the brain with therapies. And that's what we've done. So, you know, just just recently, you know, we went into uh, elderly volunteers with our compound NT0796. So this is a brain penetrant NLRP3 inhibitor designed by Nodthera. And we managed to demonstrate actually over just seven days that we could reduce the, the marker that I just mentioned, neurofilament light, in the brains of these elderly subjects. So that's a big step forward. So that says two things. That says, first of all, the drug is getting in the brain. And then second, that it's actually having an anti-inflammatory effect in the brain. And we've demonstrated that by looking at CSF samples and demonstrating that, that we can see a reduction in these, uh, these brain biomarkers. The next step is that we're going to go into patients and, and that is recruiting right now. So we're recruiting uh, Parkinson's patients where we would expect to see more of an inflammatory background in these subjects. So, yeah, we're looking at a whole panel of biomarkers that we know to be associated uh, with disease. So, you know, we're not looking to cure disease. You know, we're not going to raise a victory flag too early here. What we're looking to do is demonstrate that in a patient cohort, we can actually move these markers of neuroinflammation. The next step will be that we'll actually do a formal Parkinson's study. We'll still have the biomarkers in there. We think the biomarkers are going to be really important measures of you know, neuroinflammatory activity. But we'll also put in measures of disease progression there. At the minimum, we're kind of hoping that we can halt disease in its tracks. If you think that chronic low-grade inflammation is what's causing these diseases to progress, if we can halt that, then we should be able to halt disease progression. The best outcome here, though, is that you know what's stopping the brain from repairing itself is essentially having chronic inflammation ongoing. So a dream of the mechanism would be that we go in, halt the ongoing inflammation, and we allow the brain essentially to, to recover. 
Now, some areas of the brain recover better than others. There's what's called neurogenesis that goes on in specific areas of the brain. However, you know, the hope is there that we find the right degree of intervention with these drugs that, you know, we can start to really improve the brain biochemistry of these people. And how is it administered? This is an oral drug. So we are going for very standard therapeutic approach. We've got a suspension formulation in, in a capsule that we've designed right now. We did a very nice phase one where we just did a very quick solution just straight into people's mouths. And, you know, and that absorbed the compound very rapidly and it was then cleared very rapidly. We've then designed a very nice capsule formulation, which now prolongs the absorption, essentially extends the, uh, the duration of the drug in the body and in the brain. So it couldn't be more convenient as a, as a therapeutic. Does it need to be repeated or is it just a one-off? It's twice a day therapy uh, right now. So we are obviously hopeful that, the, you know, we'll find the right balance and make this uh, a once a day. We, we have another therapy called NT0249, which is actually a once a day therapy in the portfolio. That's running a couple of months behind uh, 796, but we're actually going to evaluate that and 796 in a cardiovascular study as well. So, you know, not only are we focused on neurodegeneration, but we're also very interested in cardiovascular disease. And it turns out there's a really high correlation between, you know, the more cardiovascular disease you have, the worse your risk of dementia actually is. So getting again to the heart of these diseases, if we can really help by reducing cardiovascular disease, there should be an, an impact on the brain as well. Does the point at which you intervene make any difference? Because I know you'd mentioned that people that years before getting the disease, if you apply your treatment 10 years before they have a disease, what are the differences there? Yeah, I, I'm not sure anyone's going to pay for that right now. But, uh, you know, that, that's obviously, uh, you know, a bit, a bit of a a bit of a dream once again. I mean, what I can tell you is there are mice that have been made without the NLRP3 proteins, the so-called NLRP3 knockouts. These mice are viable. They're actually longer lived than a standard mouse. They don't get obesity. They don't get metabolic disease. You know, they're actually really healthy into old age. The data we have is the sooner you can intervene, the better. But I think what we're trying to demonstrate is that going into an inflammatory disease, we can have an impact because, you know, that's where the medical need is right now. We're choosing patients with moderate disease. So what's interesting about this mechanism is that when you don't have any ongoing activation of NLRP3, these drugs are benign. These drugs just don't do anything. They actually need an activated NLRP3 protein to do anything. And so we're intervening actually with moderate disease where the subjects have got an inflammatory background uh, already. That gives us the best chance of seeing a response, but also the best chance, I think, of you know, having an improvement you know, long term. You mentioned that it wouldn't have any effect if you didn't have anything there. Would it be something that you could take so that never happened, so that you staving off potential? I like your thinking. <laughs>
So, you know, it almost could be the future statin, the ubiquity of the use of statins to lower cardiovascular risk. We can see the same for this mechanism. And if anything, I think the utility of this is much broader because, as I say, you know, I I pointed to all these organ systems that all have chronic inflammation as, as a underpinning to many of the disorders. You can see a situation where, you know, the earlier you're able to intervene, and and I think the way that you'd go about this is to look at those that maybe carry specific risk factors for certain diseases, treat those individuals with those risk factors with an NLRP3 inhibitor early, and really prevent the disease from developing. People talk of this as as almost a a sort of smoldering fire, right? There's a slow burn to these diseases. And so the sooner you can extinguish that, the less damage has actually been done along the way. Is it something that there will be a benefit to combining this with other potential treatments? Yeah. In the first instance, yeah, we're excluding, you know, no therapies in, in terms of standard of care in, in neuroscience. So, you know, what we're seeing is that there are symptomatics that people are getting good benefits from already. They're probably not doing everything and clearly a lot of room for improvement. So adding to existing therapies is something that we're certainly open to. And I think there will be more of that along the way. So where do you go from here as a company in terms of what your way forward is? Yeah, so, you know, I think we've got pretty big ambitions in the neurodegeneration space. So the next set of studies there will be to build on where we're going this year to you know put together a phase two program. Now, we're kind of looking at two areas. We are super interested in Parkinson's and the danger signal there, alpha synuclein, is clearly a driver of of NLRP3. I think a three-month study in Parkinson's could be a lot of interest and a lot of benefit. We do that, as I say, in in a combined way. We do that with blood biomarkers, brain biomarkers, markers of disease progression, and, and one of those will be alpha synuclein itself and also you know look at movement scores motor scores and so on and and see whether or not we can bring any benefit there are other diseases that we're looking at in this space as well you know one of the advantages of parkinson's from a recruitment perspective is that you know it's the second most prevalent neurodegenerative disease so there is a relatively prevalent population and when speed is of the essence which is in biotech you know we want to be able to recruit people into these studies and so you know that becomes a a viable disease there are smaller diseases and and i'm thinking of things like frontal temporal uh, dementias the interestingly enough are still caused by misfolded proteins in this case it's not alpha synuclein in this case it's a protein called tau and, and tau can take different forms in the brain. Those can, again, lead to neurodegenerative diseases, but, you know, different uh, in terms of the symptomology. What we're seeing and what we think about this is that you know, many of these neurodegenerative diseases are more similar than they are different. So, you know, we call Alzheimer's disease, Alzheimer's disease, because it looks a certain way in terms of the symptoms. 
And that's because particular areas of the brain are vulnerable to inflammatory damage. So, you know, in the case of Alzheimer's disease, it's the hippocampus and area of learning and memory that gets predominantly affected. If you take Parkinson's disease, it's a different area of the brain. You know, it's the substantia nigra that, that actually gets affected and that controls movement. So that's the motor coordination center. These are the dopaminergic neurons. And so because those symptoms look different, you know, we call that Parkinson's disease. But actually what's underpinning all of these, once again, is, you know, destruction of neurons. And it's it's this destruction of neurons that you know leads us to think that there's a lot of opportunity in the neurodegenerative space here to potentially treat different orders because you know the commonalities in these diseases are you know misfolded proteins and mitochondrial dysfunction and neuroinflammation all of which appear to have you know at least an nlrp3 component to them so this is the big shift that we're seeing we're switching the attention from the neuron, and, and you know, I've done neuroscience for 35 years, and, and you know, and a lot of that time we've spent working on neurons. What we're doing is is we're saying actually, you know, the neurons are the vulnerable cells, they are the cells that are damaged, but have a look at these immune cells instead, these glia, the microglia, the astrocytes, the oligodendrocytes in the brain, the monocytes and macrophages in the periphery. This is probably where the action is. This is probably what we've got to inhibit in order to see a benefit in disease. Obviously, you don't have a crystal ball, but what kind of timelines are you looking at for um, saving the world here? Well, I'm glad you say saving the world because, I, I, you know, I'm hopeful. <laughs> I, I genuinely think that there's therapies in here that have got the capacity at least to change the world. You know, if we can make a fundamental difference to these these inflammatory pathways, I can see a lot of clinical benefit actually flowing from this. You know, we're still uh, relatively early. We're just moving into phase two on a standard pathway. I think, you know, probably before the end of the decade is what I would promise. We hope to go much sooner than that. So, you know, one of the big innovations in the field here is now the acceptance by the regulatory agencies of biomarkers, in particular brain biomarkers, as a key endpoint. And so, you know, there was a, a registration uh, just recently of an ALS therapy. So it was a, a SOD1 uh, oligonucleotide for ALS, where they looked at neurofilament light as the, as the key biomarker once again. And your know, registration was obtained on essentially a six-month study just through modulation of the biomarker. There was no clinical benefit, but it was accepted that improving the inflammatory status of the brain will bring patient benefit. So this is something that we're very keen to uh, to think about as well. Can we really accelerate these? Because, you know, the sooner we can get these to, uh, to patients in a, in a meaningful way, I think the more benefit we're going to accrue. Sounds like you're going to be busy for the next few years. Then. <laughs> well, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, we're obviously looking for partnership opportunities here yeah we're looking for funding opportunities i think there's a huge potential of this mechanism we still think alzheimer's disease is is the huge goal here everything points to the involvement of nlrp3 in, in alzheimer's disease unfortunately it's just too big a mountain to climb for a small biotech uh, like us 
we really need the helping hand of a big pharma company to come in and, and work with us on that. But that is the real promise, I think, of this mechanism. You know, you, you mentioned it, and I'll just mention it again. I do think we're in a space here that can be truly game-changing. This, both in the in the neuro and in the peripheral inflammatory disease space, is a really important drug target. And I don't think it's any accident that all of these diseases are all on the rise simultaneously. The cardiovascular disease, the diabetes, the neurodegeneration, they're all on the rise because they're all interrelated. And that's really what we're working towards trying to solve. And that's it for this week's podcast. Next week's interview is already done and amazingly, it's even edited. So that's a good start. I see that there are some heat alerts in quite a few countries. Here we have a flood watch on this weekend. No complaints from me though. Unfortunately, it looks like extreme weather isn't going away anytime in the near future. And I don't think we're really doing anywhere near enough to do anything about it. So on that optimistic note, thanks a lot for joining us. And I hope wherever in the world you are, you have a great week ahead. Take care and join us next week for another Beyond Biotech.